I got no clue. Oh, I'm singing. Oh, in the, the rain. oh yeah. Mm-hmm. I hear it now. That one's hard. You know why words. I did that? Why? Because it's raining. April showers bit. bring May flowers. April showers bring May flowers. April fifth. April. Can you believe 5th. that? Yeah. I can't believe it's April. It is April. It's April. It hasn't been April since we've met last. No. It turned April. Yeah, it turned on April Wednesday last, last week. week. Yeah, Thursday. I don't remember when. Yeah. Thursday was when. April first is Wendell's birthday. Yeah, and it's no joke. <laughs> Does Wendell like that his birthday is... Yeah, but can I tell you something funny? Yeah. So, like, when he was four... Yeah. Three, I don't remember. Um, April 1st was Easter. Oh. And so, like, after that year, every year, like, Easter would come before. Uh-huh. And he would sob because he'd be like, you forgot my birthday. It's like, no, your birthday's not on Easter. Because he thinks his birthday's yeah. on Easter? Yeah. <laughs> but now he's figured it out. Okay, okay, good. That's good. I can't believe... So, he's... Seven? Yeah, isn't that sick? Yes, that's it not, is like upsetting. That's not right. No, it's also there's something about him. It's I'm sure you guys have it in common, but there's something so like youngest child, like about him that's just like sweet, and you know, kind of like not naive exactly, but young. Like he's looking at the world with like fresh eyes and. It's hard to believe. I mean, seven just truly feels entirely too old for him. Yeah, I know it would do. And here's the thing. You get to this point, it's like, well, I want babies again. But let me tell you, right now we have two babies-ish. Mm-hmm. And it is H-E double hockey sticks. Yeah. Because they're both sick. Well, I remember I remember, I had just started working here. And you like came into work one day really mad. And you were like, Lindsay packed the crib up today. And that means we're not going to have any more babies. And that's really upsetting to me. You were like mad. (laughs) And it was really funny. I take it back. It was a great move. (laughs) Man, I bet we got up literally out of our bed 15 times last night. Ooh, Josh. And up like three throw up sheet sets. and I can't. There's nothing in this world I just like more than having to do something like that I just did over again. It makes me really upset. So anyhow, that's that. Let's mm-hmm. move on to bigger and better things, Taylor. Let's Let's move start off on. with this. Okay. Well, I have some great news. Great news. Um, if you, I don't know if you peeked at our, our UBC brackets, but <laughs> I did figure I out did. who Lynn... Manuel Baranda is? Yeah. It's, is it Christopher? No. It's not? No. I thought you said it was. Christopher who? Wisnet, our coworker. No. I thought you said it was. No. Does he even like Hamilton? I don't know. Didn't you send me? No. Okay. I said I thought it was, um, it might be Marshall Cook. Oh, what a champion. Um, no, it was um, Braxton Ray. Marshall Cook. Oh. And he, said, and he said he was really hoping to win because he wanted to have lunch with us. Oh my gosh, that's so nice. Um, they're they're moving. <gasps> no. Parker got a good job in Austin, so they're moving. Well, that's good for Parker. Yeah, but, but they wanted to meet. So me... I said, you know what, we can meet anyways. And I said, you know what? Um, it could be that um, a staff person wins anyway, and we don't want to give the staff person the award, so maybe we'll give it to the second place person. Yeah, I don't think so. But Lynn Manuel Miranda is beating me by like um, forty points or something. Are they in first? Yeah. No, I thought you were. I was for a minute, but I'm not anymore. I oh well, problem solved. It could be. I looked at it like last night. I wonder what changed then, because last time I looked, he was 
clearly in first. And then, um, well, ESPN's going too slow here. I was going to tell you about the women's, too. Oh, guess who's uh, won the women's bracket? Who? Katie Altaheef. <gasps> Way to go, Katie Altaheef. I don't know if she listens to the podcast. I don't either. But now I can't find it. The men's? Any of it. Oh, weird. It's usually at the top. Um, I know. When I try to click through, I can never find anything. Oh, here we go. Okay. The women's game last night, like, did you watch the Baylor-UConn game? Mm-hmm. It was so much better than that game last night. Yeah. It was like breathtaking basketball. The other night when they lost? Yeah. The yeah. UConn-Baylor game. That was uh, brutal. It was brutal, but it was really good basketball. It was really fun to watch. I'm very pro women's basketball right now. Well, I think this has been a good tournament for them. Yeah. The the fact that Arizona almost won the national championship was the best thing ever for women's basketball. Why? Because it's always been like the very clear dominant one seed that wins. Oh, okay. Yeah. And Stanford wasn't that. Right. I mean, you had three or four teams that were said could win it. Yeah. Um, And Stanford's won, but Arizona was so close. Well, um, and I do no, think... you are number one in the thing. I am. By the way, you're in the ninety nine point fifth percentile overall. Yeah, Lynn Moel Brand is second. I am number one, and I'm in the ninety nine point fifth percentile. But that's still like thousands of people, right? Probably. Uh, yeah, you, I mean, I could click it up, but that's pretty good, Taylor. So Thank yeah, you. you are first, and you both have Baylor. So you are going to win if Baylor wins, and interestingly, if Gonzaga wins, the top Gonzaga player right now is Tof. So a staff member, I sent you guys a message saying, "Yeah, what a Tof great way to save chose money." Gonzaga. Yeah. Wow, that's really realistic of him, I guess. Oh. Except then the other night, I was watching that UCLA game. That was a great game, and I felt like, oh, they're not unbeatable. That is the best college basketball game I've seen in a long time. The Gonzaga. Yeah. UCLA game. And not because it was Gonzaga- really good. I would say that the Baylor UConn women's game was better. Um, I will say this. I didn't watch the first quarter, which I guess was awesome. It was amazing. It was a great game. My opinion, the UCLA game was better. It was also very good. So reasonable. But um, I said to Trevor, we watched on I'm like, the only thing I want at this point is there to be a last second shot that wins it. And You um, called it. Well, I mean, I just was so impressed with how UCLA kept coming back. It's so rare for an underdog to be able to do that with such a clear, I mean, the mental game they're playing, and they just didn't. Like, they get down by four. At one point, it was seven. Like, okay, it's it. And then they would come back. Never. They never gave up. It was such a good game. So I saw an interview with um, Jason. First of all, I will say, um, one of the tweets I liked this week said that all the players on the Gonzaga basketball team are like the mean older brother in a like teen drama. Oh, I saw you retweet that. And I thought that was hysterical. Timmy, what's his name? I just keep calling him Jimmy Johns. He looks like a... <laughs> Drew Timmy? He looks like a TV character villain, like in a teen uh, show or whatever. Um, he's annoying. I don't love... like. Uh, it always takes me a minute. Like Russell Wilson at first... No, no, no. <laughs> Russell Westbrook, yeah. when he first started playing, I was like, this is an insufferable person. And now, actually, I love Russell Westbrook. Okay. And there's a player on the Mavs who also does MMA fighting, and oh, yeah. he's hysterical. Very early on in the season, he headbutted another player. 
And um, then the ref called it a foul and he like put his hands up in the air. He was like, what for what? And it's like, I love things like that. I think they're so funny. Um, and But I do feel like Timmy is always being like, um, is kind of like that. Like he just isn't an antagonist, you know? Yeah. Um, but also I saw an interview with Suggs. Uh, what's his first name? Jason? Jalen. Jalen. And he was so sweet and cute. He was like, I've always wanted to run up on the table like D-Wade or Kobe, you know? And uh, I, it was just the sweetest thing because that's what he did after he hit that shot, you know? And it yeah. was just really cute. And I'm surprised those tables don't collapse. I know. Those guys they, are big. At this point, they must like be preparing for the moment. <laughs> Dwayne Wade like, quote tweeted him and said like, I jumped up on my table when you hit that shot, my man. So that's sweet. And I'm excited to watch the game tonight. I feel hopeful that we can oh, win. Oh, I'm as confident that Baylor can win as I have been. Yeah. Which is to say, I kind of thought Gonzaga had it in the bag, and now I'm thinking Baylor's defense is going to give them fits. Mm-hmm. Although I do think Timmy is going to give Baylor fits. Well, Timmy's got a... I don't Timmy's got... We don't have a big man. We don't play a big man. I know. Well, that's what... We people, have Mark Vital, but he's that's what people right. Well, but no, nobody's like um like a true post or anything right. like that in size. You know what I mean? Right. Well, they and they just don't. I mean, our pace is so fast, we don't spend a lot of time there, anyways. I know. But we could score in the paint. Yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting if we can hit from the perimeter. I think we'll give them heck. Well, and that was the thing about Houston. You know, they um. Did you see the pregame? They did this whole segment on how like. Houston does all like this thing in practice where they put a thing over the basket. So like they know for sure that the ball is going to come out. And so they practice like offensive rebounds that way. Mm -hmm. And then they didn't get that many offensive rebounds. Yeah, they couldn't hit. Yeah. No, it just really wasn't falling. I mean, they just look, Baylor looks so dominant. Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, it was, I had a nervous energy in my chest of like, Oh man, they're coming back. They're coming back. And then anytime I would be like, "And how much have they come back?" It was like, "And we are up by sixteen points or yeah. something like that." I think the closest so. they got was sixteen points in the second half. Yeah. Well, it should be an exciting game tonight. Yeah, very exciting. Proud of those Bears. Proud of them. And there's been a lot of to say about Scott Drew and like all the hard and committed work he has like put into this. You know what I saw. He yeah. sent a letter and a, a net to... Every person. Yeah. Who has been on the team since... Well, every person he had contact information for since 2003 when he started the job. Wow. What a cool deal. I, I know. I know. And just it's really like a culture thing and... Yeah. It's pretty cool to have, you know, as long as Kim Mulkey's there, like Baylor women are going to be very dominant and it's just kind of cool to have... Yeah. Um... Yeah, I think um, I'm trying to think how overstated this may be. I think Baylor is now becoming really one of the powerhouses of the Big 12. Like, overall athletic programs. Yeah. Yeah. Softball team's really good, right? Yeah. Um, Tennis has always been dominant. Yeah. And we'll see with football what Dave Aranda can do. I mean, what a weird year to start. Yeah. Um, but we've had two coaches now, two football coaches, take us to a Big 12 championships. Yeah. Which is, I mean, that's like program era stuff. So mm-hmm. that's exciting. Yeah. Well, anyhow, a little college basketball for you. Hey, we haven't talked about this. How gross are the, the Brooklyn Nets? <laughs> Just buying everything. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. I really don't like the Knicks. So sometimes I just feel like I don't, for some reason, I give Brooklyn a pass. Like, I'm like, whatever they do, it's fine. Oh, they just bought, they're trying to buy a championship. Everybody. I know. So I know. I but Some of the internet language about it has been really funny because it's like, you're doing all this to beat LeBron and yeah. he is 39 years old and you got to do all this. Like, that's yeah. insane. Um. So, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if it works. Um, well, and I don't think that Blake Griffin or LaMarcus Aldridge are quite what they used to be. No, certainly not. But if you got a team of right. former All-Stars, well, and you I, know. I've, I've forgotten they have DeAndre Jordan, too. Yeah, I don't like that guy. I mean, they have six people who have been, like, kind of, you know, Blue Ribbon All-Stars at some point in their career. Yeah. I don't know if... Was DeAndre Jordan number one, or was he? He got like sixth man of the year. Maybe I'm thinking of Lamar Odom. No, I think you're right. DeAndre was sixth man, but he was like there was two years where he was in conversation, made the best center in basketball. Yeah, yeah, I know. When he was with the Clippers, it yeah, was him and never he was never Chris with the Mavs. Yeah, although for a minute he kind of was. So. Uh. Sorry about that. It's okay. All right, moving on. Hey, guess what? What? So I finally watched another episode of. The West Wing? Yeah. Yes. And I had told you this, but I had discovered that, and it's not Stockyard, is it? It's Stockard? Stockard Channing, right. Stock, yeah. What kind of a, you think that's her real name? You think she came out of the womb and her mother's like, Stockard? Stockard. What a great question. I kind of think so. I think that's the stage name. No, but how would you come up with Stockard? You know what I mean? It's a it's a maiden name, that's why. Oh, okay. Wait, but. Could be, could be, I don't know. Anyways, okay. Stockard. I'm going to call her Stockyard. I just like it. Oh, my gosh. Stockyard okay. Channing is Betty Rizzo from Greece. Yes. Yes. How about that? And uh, speaking, I also made this comment. Speaking of something that should be canceled. Greece. Greece should be canceled. Yeah. Greece, too, even more. Yeah. Which ones, like, do it for your country? Greece, too. Yeah. yeah they get, That's get, a mess. That's a whole mess. Yeah. Well, uh, in this episode I revisited. Uh-huh. Um, Stockyard. Okay. And uh, what's Martin Sheen? Bar- the Bartlets. The Bartlets. Have a great conversation about marriage where they use uh, the household codes from Ephesians 5, 21. Wives, <laughs> submit to your husbands. Yeah. It's so great. It is great. It's like really riveting, like lived exegetical commentary. There are, yeah. And also, I just saw a, a TikTok last night. About, like, what your favorite West Wing, like, couple says about you or whatever. Okay. And it, the one about... Um, I only know one couple on the show. Abby and Jed... Uh, the Bartlett's. Well... Is Don, Don and Josh considered a couple? Oh, um... What season are you in? Three. Okay. And he's not dating that girl yet? I guess not. That must be towards the end. Um, uh, yeah. Oh, that's true. I had not even thought about that. Well, but it, so it has like speculative couples. Like apparently there's like fan fiction about like Josh and Rob Lowe's character, um, which is like not actually a thing that happens in the show, but a thing people wish happened or whatever. But um, it's the one about Abby and... The Bartlett's was like, if you like to see, like, 
realistic couples kind of like or what it's like really like to be kind of in a respectful marriage yeah like a marriage that's based in respecting each other and stuff like that. although his decision to go into the uh the next presidential race is sort of felt mm-hmm. unilateral to me okay um spoiler alert um yeah they'll be fine yeah um my concern is for aaron alvin hill oh shoot um, it's okay so we fine well i don't know maybe that doesn't happen who could know hey yeah it I... felt disrespectful to you what? you said that his decision well i just there was so much and of her not wanting him like that was the deal yeah um well we better steer away for Okay, yeah, that's probably uh, true. But uh, Danny Kincannon, I told you, had disappeared. I love Danny Kincannon. Someone recently was telling me they don't like Danny Kincannon. Yeah. I can't remember who it was because I love him. I love him. So that was a bummer. I just noticed he was gone. Oh, well, he comes back a few times. Okay. Well, um, I got, I actually, this is a separate note, but um, I'm, this is me feeling defensive. Oh, okay. Well. Against uh, me? Yep. Two weeks ago, okay, you said you're, and it was you weren't like trying to get me. It was just you know how you interpreted the moment. And I accepted it for what it was. Okay, you were talking about my analysis of moxie and drinking. Uh huh. And you said but I like, knew you were bothered by this. And you said, but like I but, asked you about it, and you told me you weren't. <laughs> okay, sorry, keep going. Well, I found my courage to tell you the truth. <laughs> okay, you said, um, yeah, but like the thing you saw got out of it a week later was what I did wrong. Uh huh. So. That's true. That is what happened. Uh-huh. I would like to say, though, my question for myself was, but do I apply the same hermeneutic of suspicion to all films? And I'd like to point out that I've been proactive about consistently calling out the sexism in the West Wing. Oh, okay. So it's, it's not just that I'm after the feminist movie. I've also been after the patriarchal show as well. Sure. Yeah. There is, a, there is some um, misogyny in the West Wing. Quite a bit, actually. Yeah. Here's one question. I, this is a little bit of a rabbit trail. And this is not a question I can answer because mm-hmm. I'm a privileged person. Right. But, like, I'm always curious with period pieces. Like, there's a fine line between portraying the truth. Yeah. How it was. But doing that distastefully. Um, this is a great This is a great point. Because someone recently told me they don't like the West Wing because they think Aaron Sorkin is very misogynistic or whatever. Um... I disagree. No, I don't disagree that Aaron Sorkin is misogynistic, but I it does not make me dislike the West Wing because to me it's like the hurdles that these women are facing seem to be true. I was going to say, 2001 was also misogynistic. Right, yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so it doesn't ring to me as like false for the context, you know? Yeah. And I can't make a, a judgment call about whether or not Aaron Sorkin just wrote that way. Because he, there are some moments, like there's a weird moment in early season one. It's actually, I think, no, it's before the Jackal. They're like playing cards and it's this weird thing with like Leo and the president and Josh and Toby maybe. And they're all just kind of standing around like, look at these women. They're amazing. And it's like weird and very paternalistic and like kind of strange yeah and that to me probably feels like an aaron sorkin thing that he wrote that scene thinking that it was like wow i really get women or something like that and but the other stuff like this the sort of work stuff or like you know occasionally cj's like not led into a meeting or she seems to be punished a little bit more than the other 
characters occasionally for smaller things like that to me it feels like that would have happened you know so who could know well there's that it's good to watch that show hey i have a uh, another piece of the puzzle for us puzzle okay well there's a uh, author named dave pilkey okay and we got a text from this from ben Rayleigh about this and i'd actually made a note already so he has written a book called the adventures of ook and gluck because uh-huh. he does the Captain Underpants series. Uh-huh. And then it's colon, Kung Fu Cavemen from the Future. So. Wow. Um, I, this was this was good, though. So the publisher okay. had pulled the book. Not all of him. Just that book. Okay. And then he, um, I, I read up on it because, you know, the headline is just always juicy. Sure. But uh, what the headline did not tell you is that they talked about it. He wanted them to pull it. And he issued a really heartfelt apology and said, I need to do better. Oh, that's so nice. I thought, well, that's that's how that should work. Yeah. If people see their mistakes, they voluntarily do it. And then they just think. And then, like, he donated a bunch of sales from it to Asian American hate groups. Oh, wow. Uh, Asian American. Or, I'm sorry, prevention of hate groups. Right, yeah. <laughs> Terrible. I was like, wait, wait, hold on. That's maybe That's bad. Way to, way to double down yeah. there, Dave. <laughs> way to double Dave down Pilkey. there, Dave. But good job, Dave Pilkey. Way to, way to give us an example. Yes, yeah. Way to lead by example, Dave Pilkey. I appreciate that. Okay, here's another thing I want to ask you about. Okay, I do, have one thing I want to talk about. Well, do you want to go first? Because mine's a non sequitur. Mine is also a non sequitur. Well, did you, did you get yourself a pair of Satan shoes? I didn't. Oh my gosh! I can't believe we didn't talk about this last week. Except maybe it was like kind of unfolding. Yeah. Um. No, I didn't get myself a pair of Satan shoes. What were but, they like? They were one thousand some dollars. Yeah, piece. pretty expensive. But see, sneakers are expensive. Well, like, yeah. I mean, you could pay a lot more. Here's the thing, though. So he's getting sued by Nike. Yeah. He sold six hundred and sixty-six. <laughs> It seems like the whole thing was just a from start to finish a marketing thing. For sure. I'm sure the money he is going to make off of this like marketing situation. But my point is, is he more. can't make the money off the shoes, right? He's gonna make six hundred and sixty six thousand minus costs and all the stuff, which have to be high. Um like I don't know any of those things. Like he had to have somebody manufacture these shoes and put actual blood in the soles of them or whatever. Is that what happened? There's, There's a drop of blood in like a liquid patch in the heels of the shoes. Um, okay. But, well, I think he, I mean, the reason he's in trouble, right, is it's just like Nikes that somebody bought, that he bought and then like. Right. He like switched the people, swoosh around. Right. Yeah. And then. People do that all the time on the internet. Yeah. But when you're high profile and yeah, you're trying to make money. You get in uh, trouble. And then, I, so I start digging around. A uh-huh. couple of surprises. Number one. First of all, what's his name? Nas Little X. Nas X. Little Nas X. Little yeah. Nas X is the rapper. Yeah. Who? Musician. So, like, I'm I'm taking this in and I... Do you know what his, like, other big song is? I'm getting there. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> so, I'm like, okay, Little Nas X is doing Satan Shoes. Then I read up and see he's done a, a video where he descends into hell and, and earmuffs listeners here if you're young, but he gives Satan a lap dance. He does. Um, because then I find out that he is... Um, um, an LGBTQ fellow. He's gay. He is. Um, and so the lap dance is like, um, come to find out there's a little more there than right. Then like, let me be well, explicit for explicit sake. Um, sure. And then I find out this is the feller yeah. who's saying, yeah, horses in the front, horses <laughs> in the back. Down. I don't down, remember it that down, way. Down, down, 
<laughs> what are you laughing at? I don't think he's saying any of the parts of the song that people like think about most, which is like the chorus. It's like, I'm going to take my yeah, horse down the old town road. road. I'm going to ride till I can't no more. But that's Lil Nas X. Yeah. That guy yeah. did the Satan lap dance. He did. So my tweet was, well, there's some cultural range, huh? Yeah, a lot of cultural range. So the um, David Dark did a really interesting thing on the whole music video. Okay. And there are a lot of layers there. But ultimately... I haven't watched it. The, well, I haven't either. The punchline is um, the church has judged gay people. Yeah. So he went to hell. Well, that was the thing. A lot of the, a lot of Christians were very mad. Can I tell you just something so funny? Yeah. I saw an Onion article <laughs> after the video came out. It said Christians very concerned that Satan's a homosexual now. <laughs> that was a, that was part of the thing. Is Christians were very mad, and a lot of the response was like, "You told him he's well, going to hell." I am. Um, I didn't know anything about this until my my way into it was a Facebook friend who has a very conservative evangelical posture, like playing right into the hand of yeah, the thing. Sure. Like we have to protect our children from the wild. Satan is still alive and prowling like a lion. Look what Satan's doing. Um, the whole thing. I never know how to feel when people talk about. I was uh, so I was I was very intrigued. Yeah, it's intriguing. And then like, I will say, when I didn't know who it was and I saw the video, I'm like, oh, this is Marilyn Manson. This is just somebody trying to use shock jock to get attention. Then I went further yeah. and I like read up on the narrative and what was going on. I'm like, yeah. oh, this is really interesting. He's like smarter than that. Yeah, yeah. It's not just a shock and awe like, situation. Yeah. So. And then I saw that he rode horses. And I was he like, got the wow. horses in the back. Yeah. And also... A lot of people were saying, like, well, that song became very popular with children, so he's a children's entertainer. And it's like, no, that's not at all how that works. Yeah. Like, he wrote a song, and it became popular with children, just sort of, he did not market it to children, right. you know? Because then they were making the point, like, he shouldn't be doing such explicit things with kids paying attention, and it's like, I guess it's the whole Nicki Minaj walk argument also, you know? Um, I know who Nicki Minaj is, and I now. I'm sorry. Oh, Nicki Minaj. I'm so sorry. Cardi B. Walk okay, is Cardi say, B. I, there you go. And Megan Thee Stallion. Um, yeah, which is to me very similar. It's like, are you, are you playing WAP for your seven year old? Hopefully not. You uh, know, like. What's and I guess. Praise. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. We need some more WAP this Sunday, folks. Oh my god. We're, of course, referencing a tweet. Yes. That yes. That was so funny. That was funny. Um, yeah. Um, okay. Well, I have some news for you. Okay. Which is that I watched A Day Away. Or A Week Away. A Week Away. A week oh, away. yeah. What'd you think? Um, I watched it with Kathleen and Bree. Uh-huh. And I thought it was hysterical. Okay, good. So you got... you. It was... You laughed. Yeah. Which I think... If I'd watched it by myself, it kind of would have been like... Okay, this is weird. Now, but, here's the question. Okay. What do you think the intent was? To be hysterical? Okay, he, no. Okay. No, I think the intent was to be an evangelical tool. I think it also, somehow, we should look into this. I didn't look into it beforehand. Um, I think it might have been made several years ago. Okay. Like, 
so many of the jokes and the like sort of things that were supposed to tie it to cultural relevancy were very old. Very old. Oh, that's interesting. Um, but like, I mean, when you say very old, like 1995. No, no, no. The Christian music obviously was very old. Yeah. No, I mean the things that were supposed to tie it to like sort of popular cultural relevancy. Okay. If it was made in 2020 or 2021, they are... These are all references at least from like 2012 or 2011 or something like that. And maybe some of them even from like 20, 2008 and stuff. I mean, like when the high school musical movies are being made, which is the thing that it reminded me most of. Sort of like high school musical and camp rock, a combination of the two things. So it just seemed really out of date for 2020 already. Hmm. Well, I mean, I can imagine it being pitched a few times and kind of sitting on the struggle bus because people aren't sure what to do with it. Yes, exactly. I think so. Also, was some of the music original? I don't know. I That's where it's like, I don't know if I just don't know Christian music well enough to know. Yeah. Same. I kind of thought that maybe that last song they sing at the end was original. Yeah. I think the, one of the first songs they sing is original as well. But I will say this. The production quality seemed higher to me than like some of the other Christian films. Some of it, but like it the wasn't... choreography, like when they're dancing in the water, I thought was very clever. Yeah, the um, it was always very confusing to understand what time of day it was, um, and also sometimes it would be like one day and it would be dark, and then they'd go to another scene and it was light with somebody, and then it was dark again, and it was that was overwhelming to me. Some of that stuff. And at one point there, she's like singing to that thing she's made for her mom. And then it's supposed to be like sunrise, but it looks like nighttime. And yeah. by nighttime, I mean, it looks like just after sunset or something like that. So it's a strange movie. I was surprised. Let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. I was surprised that they kissed at the end. Um, because they're Christians? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I thought we would go in for a hug or something like that. Well, that could be a thing. But, you know, that's the thing is, did you also notice they never say Jesus in the movie? It's like, to me, that's oh. why I said it's moralistic therapeutic deism. It's like, let's make this vaguely moral. Let's put it in the vein of Christianity, but not explicitly. So we can kind of just throw it out there to the masses. What do they they say a lot of him? Oh my gosh! You know when I was so overwhelmed. But some of it, Josh was like, it did bring back. It reminded me of when I was a teenager, mm -hmm. and I everything was the biggest deal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because your prefrontal cortex isn't finished yet, so everything is like a gigantic deal. So they have that one like sort of you know last like store um circle night cry night time or whatever actually it's yeah. like the first or second night and they're all talking and it's fine and then the girl just starts acapella singing our god is an awesome god oh yeah and i was so overwhelmed with with what kind of emotion two two emotions like oh my gosh i can't believe this is happening right now like oh i just was surprised and then also like and i remember the time in my life when it felt like 
if somebody stood up and started singing our god is an awesome god acapella and everyone else joined in it would have felt like the biggest moment yeah you know yeah so it was like both of those things well i i'm sorry listeners i'm gonna do this i think i've told the story and stuff there is a feller who is now an atheist who lives in austin but was uh, moved with Mark Waldrop and that group when they were like freshmen, uh-huh. and he was worshiping at another large church in town that I'll re- will remain nameless. And like he had stopped going to his small group, but like had come back, and so like a large group had like gathered around him to pray for him. Okay. <laughs> and he was like suffocating because he's a three, okay. and like uh, it was just overwhelming, and so he didn't know what to do, so he just started singing. I'm coming back to the heart, oh and then everybody joins in, uh-huh. and it's like a big victory. But he was like doing it because he was because he just wanted to get out of the moment. Of yeah. <gasps> oh my goodness! Oh god! Well, thanks for giving this it a try. Awesome. Did you have a similar feeling though? Of just like I don't know what's going on here, or who, what was supposed to be happening, or who the audience is, or or did oh, you feel yeah. like you knew this was for evangelicals who are Gen Xers who are. I, yeah, I think it's free. I think it's for evangelicals. Okay. To be like, watch this with their kids. Or... And why not just go a little further, though, and make it, like, explicitly Christian? I do think somebody made it to, like, use as an evangelical tool. So it's like, a, let's, like, sort of get them in the door. Okay. And so it's like then softcore. We'll, we'll be more explicit. Softcore Christianity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That was my take. Well, thanks for um, watching it so we can participate in that, discom- that conversation. It was very funny. Well, Taylor, the only last thing we have before the quiz is it was Easter yesterday and UBC met outside. We did, yeah. We had a whole service outside. Did you love it? Uh, yes, I did love it. I was a little, um, I don't know what this is because it seems to be sort of strange for my certain personality. But sometimes when big things are happening, I sort of disassociate. Okay. Um, you know, like I'm not quite in my body. Yeah. And so the the emotions just feel so large that you kind of gotta yeah get out of there. Mm. So I I really loved it. It was so lovely to see so many people and be with so many people. And in the moment, I was just like bopping around, having a fine time. Yeah. I what what I was most interested in doing was going around and talking and hanging out, but of course couldn't do that. Yeah. So. It was good. It was really good. It was good. an experiment. I was delighted by how good the sound system worked. So, so good. I was delighted by how um, uninvasive the traffic was. I thought that'd be a bigger deal. Yeah. I think it's because of that side of the And that slope really lends itself well to kind of an amphitheater feel. Yeah. On that parking lot on that side. Uh-huh. Um, and I was delighted by that we had enough parking. Yeah. Of course, there were a lot of people out of town still. Yeah. It was Easter weekend. Yeah. But I think if we fill up that grass lot, we should be okay. Yeah. I didn't actually... Because I was, like, helping people find seats, so I didn't yeah. see how the parking went. Did it? Everything went smoothly with parking? I'm assuming. I mean, okay. our lot was full, the one next to where we were. Uh-huh. And then I looked over the gravel lot. It was filled up. Okay. And people were on the side, side streets. Street, yeah. so, well, good. Yeah, we're getting there. That's exciting. Little little. Yep. Oh, oh, my god. And my brother-in-law works in the hospital, and he's, like, it's getting thinner and thinner. Really? Yeah, he said like they used to have like seventy patients or thirty or something. Now they have eight. Oh my gosh! So, oh man, I got too excited. I wish I didn't know that because I just I'm so tired of this. Yeah, <laughs> do you I know get what it. I mean? But we got to see each other. Yeah. Hey, help me analyze this. Okay. This is probably sexism or something. Okay. Um, 
So I was. You we, didn't like to any of the women you saw yesterday, only the men. No, um, it's the opposite. Oh. So um, <laughs> I've noticed, like, especially since I've started like reaching out to what I call minor celebrities for podcasting efforts. Okay. If I have a choice between a male and a female, yeah, I'll always pick the female. Um. I think I I think I have this innate sense that there's a better chance that they'll respond. Oh. That is so interesting. Like there was two directors for that a week away, right? Like writers. One was female, oh. one was male, and I was trying to find the female on Twitter. But that was always my first instinct, is the female will be more sociable, warmer, more likely to respond. I think that's true. Yeah, well, I was just wondering if it was... And maybe, like, you know that, I mean, you know you have a better chance of someone responding. But like, you I know a, wo- a woman would be more likely to, like, give up their time to talk to you about something. It's also easier for me to talk to women than men in general. That is so strange. Um, it's not strange. And I feel like that same rule applies to most couples. I mean, it's like American men. I, I don't know. This may be world men, but I know American men. Like, you know, we don't do intimacy. So, like, yeah. sometimes it's harder to have a conversation. Yeah. But um, um, same. it's always easier for me to approach females, like, if I need to have, like, something substantive in an exchange. Something substantive. And you just mean, like, any level of... Yeah, and, like, so Lindsay and I have a lot of couple friends, but, you know, in general, the females are her friends and the males are my friends. But I yeah. talk to some of her female friends more than she does. Oh, and part of that is because she's just not extroverted, too, and isn't right. going to make the effort to call people. And Right. But, but you... I don't know. That is really interesting. So? Well, but I also think some of it is... Me and Kathleen were talking about this recently. It's like um, she had a... She was talking to a friend recently who was like, so have you dated... Anybody like in seminary? And she was like, oh, no, 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 definitely not. Um, and I had a very similar experience, which is to say that like almost immediately when I started seminary, I was like, I am not attracted to any of these men. Like this is not the type of person. Yeah, I would say seminary is the last place on earth I would go to look for a spouse. <laughs> um, this is not like the type of person that I am attracted to. And I, of course, I don't mean physically because all sorts of different looking sure. people go to seminary. But, um, no, I know. Like, personality wise, I do find a lack of, I think, what you're sort of describing of like a, there were, there were a few people. I have actually multiple, like, very close male friends from seminary, but there were, there were not people that I, I don't know how to say this without being rude. Um, I, I think a lot of people who, a lot of white men who end up in Baptist seminaries have not experienced a lot of life. And that was, that is a, it's not off-putting to me, but it's also not attractive, you know? I also think seminaries attract some very wounded people. Well, that is certainly the case. Also, it, it did really feel like every, not every, but a lot of women I went to seminary with were like rock stars, like really, ki- like, you know, knocking it out of the park, like really killer They'd overcome a lot of oppression just to, like, end up in a Baptist seminary anyways. Yeah. Whereas, like, a lot of the men were, like, guys who'd, like, youth group and didn't know what to do after college. Yeah. So. That's an interesting description. What do you mean? (laughs) 
school like teeth you've been to know what to do after college that's yeah. probably true though well uh it's time now for a quiz yes yes a quiz are you ready oh yeah i'm always ready quiz is my favorite part of the show born ready also, Chelsea Waldrop this week at church. Yeah, so it she, was so fun to see them. She said she was so excited to be get a shout out, and she was going to leave her a review now. <gasps> yes. So, Chelsea, we've we're, heard you, and we said your name again. Yeah, we're we're ready for our review. Yeah. I hope it says nice things. I do, unless it's a bad review. Then maybe, <laughs> yeah. then maybe get busy. Yeah. Something. Then maybe just leave uh, the stars or whatever. Yeah. Okay, this is just a general knowledge quiz. Okay, Are I'm you very ready? knowledgeable. Which country has the longest coastline in the world? There are options. Argentina. Um, that's not an option. Okay. I meant uh, Chile. Chile, the one on the coast there. Um, it is, but also not an option. Do you want me to read you the options? Yep, I do. Russia, Australia, Canada, or Indonesia. Russia, Canada, Australia, and Indonesia. Ooh, I forgot. I'm gonna actually be surprised here and say Indonesia with all of its islands. I think that, oh no, it's not. Is it Australia? Is Canada. Oh, you know what it is? What? It's that northern. Top of it? Border. Yeah. Because it has all those islands too. Oh, okay. I don't know if they count that. I don't either. But okay. this quiz says Canada. Oh, for one. Who's the world's most populated country? China. Density or populate? China is an option. It doesn't specify. Okay. I'm gonna, it's either China or India, but I'm going to say China. Those are both options. China. Yeah. You're correct. Okay. What's the capital of the Philippines? Manila. You don't even have to look. That's right. It is right. Okay. Um, the Great Barrier Reef is off the coast of which country? Uh, Australia. Yeah. Australia, one of those weird country continent things. Yeah. Two for one. What's the world's smallest country? Luxembourg. Yeah, it's an option. Oh, no. Oh, Vatican City. I, was, I thought maybe Vatican City. Okay. Interesting. And which country is the world's highest waterfall? Uh, Victoria. Victoria Falls is in the Congo? Not an option. Do you want me to read you the options? Yeah. Venezuela, South Africa, Brazil, South and... South Africa. Okay. Hmm, Venezuela. Venezuela. Didn't know it. What's the capital of Australia? Oh, I always get confused on this one. Australia. Capital of Australia is... It's not the Sydney Opera House. Do you want to know the there options? Only, no, there's only two cities. It's Sydney or it's... <laughs> it's not only Malibu. Two. Melbourne. 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 <laughs> no, it's Canberra. That's the capital of Australia? That's what it capital, says. Capital, capital? Capital, capital. Well, I'm eating my words. That I'm generally surprised about. You said there's only... I I think, you know, sometimes there's con- countries and cities that it's like... Or... Co- sometimes there's countries or states where it's like the most popular city is not... Like New York City is not the capital of the USA. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, there's probably a lot of people from other countries who are like, it has to be New York City, right? But it's not. And we know why. Hamilton has told us. Which country is Mount Fuji located in? Wow. Is it Japan? Well, let's see. Yeah. 
It is Japan. Yeah, you know, it's like one of those pieces of data I knew as a kid without having to think. Yeah. But then it just seemed like, wait, I would just say that because it sounds like Fuji should be in Japan. Yeah. But it's probably not, and then I'll be racist. Fuji apples. In which country is the Cape of Good Hope? That is South Africa. Yes, you are correct. What country has the greatest number of active volcanoes? Iceland. That's so interesting. No. Um, the options are the Philippines, Japan, Indonesia, and Italy. Oh. I don't think it's Italy. Indonesia. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nailed it. Look at you. The Sierra Madre Oriental is a mountain range in which country? Sierra Madre. That sounds like a Spanish mm-hmm. kind of thing. It does. Yeah. I don't know. The Oriental throws me off. I know. I don't know who named it, you know? The options are China, Argentina, Mexico, and Peru. I'm not going to say China because that feels too obvious. So I'm going to say Peru. Okay. Oh, Mexico. Well, I'm a loser. I think... What is happening? <laughs> is that the end of the quiz? No. Okay. Where was the hottest temperature ever recorded? Oh, I'm going to guess Death Valley, California. Oh, that's not an option. Okay. Mexico, Peru, Libya, and India. What is the closest equator? Uh, Mexico, Peru. What? What was the other one? Libya and India. Oh, Libya is in Africa. Um, I'm gonna say Peru. Peru. Nope. Libya. Libya. Okay. Which of these countries uses the shilling as its currency? The Seychelles, Kenya, Malta, or Zimbabwe? Malta. Malta's a cool place. Nope. Kenya. Okay. Man, I'm really striking out. I watch... Do you ever watch The Amazing Race? Mm-hmm. I love The Amazing Race. It's a good show. It's really good. We watch it with our kids some seasons. Yeah. Also, well, I had an Amazing Race between birthday party once at the <gasps> Mayborn Museum. That's amazing. That's an amazing race. <laughs> a little too on the nose. My favorite thing is when uh, people... <laughs> Uh, when like you know Bree did the world race yeah. and there are actually a number of people I know and sort of in that go to UBC that have done the world race and sometimes when they tell someone they did the world race yeah. that person is like oh okay cool yeah. and then they don't ask any follow up questions and, <laughs> and then the, and then there. like the next time they talk about it they're like so someone did the amazing race and it's like no, no. very different which of these countries has three national capitals? Oh, Bolivia, Nepal, South Africa, or Morocco? South Africa. Really? No, I don't know. Yeah. I think I remember something like that in my geography class. Why do they have three national because capitals? Because of apartheid and um, the division of the country. And so they had or they still have? I don't know how that works. That's so interesting. Yeah. In which ocean is the island of Madagascar? The Pacific, the Arctic, the Indian, or the Atlantic? I guess the Indian. That would be my guess as well. Yes, correct. Flag of the world. Flags of the world round. Can you name the country? Okay, we could probably stop here. Unless you want to name flags. Well, it's visual, so it won't be good for the viewers. No, yeah, exactly. So let's stop there. Yeah. Well, it it turns out I'm pretty sucky at human and world geography. That was very geography heavy, I liked it, though. I enjoyed that. That was fun. Thank you. Sure, of course. Well, Taylor, you know what time it is. Time for our sponsors. It's time for our sponsors. Sponsors, sponsors, we love 
our sponsors. Should I? Should that be our theme song? Sure. I'm just waiting for a break so I can <laughs> start the. Well, Taylor. Yeah. Guess what's happening outside? It's cool. Getting warmer, though. It is getting and warmer. And what that means is that you're going to want to find a fun, family-safe, great way to get outside and enjoy cooler experiences. Like getting on the Brazos River on a nice paddle boat or in a kayak or oh, one yeah. of those paddle boards. Of course, for and sure. boy, do we have a suggestion for you. Boy, do we. We think that you should treat yourself and your family if you have one, or your friends and loved ones, or whoever it is. Whoever, whoever. To a uh, experience with the Waco Paddle Company. Yeah. For the best state-of-the-art boating equipment of a uh, self-propelling kind, we suggest you go to the Waco Paddle Company. Excellent service. And um, go ahead and give them a call at 254-424-3253, or you can visit them on the internet and look at what they have to rent and what their prices are and i think what you'll find is it's very competitive the best people the best boat full disclosure things. we should say that we have a connection to the waco paddle company yeah we love it that's our how friends, we're connected <laughs> the Rayleighs, <laughs> our co-owners avid listeners and yeah. great human beings oh the best but that doesn't detract from the fact that it is a great way who's your favorite rally and if you don't answer it, then um, you shouldn't ask people anymore who their favorite. My favorite really is. is probably Ben. Okay. Uh, just because I interact with him the most, and Ben has a really great, genuine curiosity about life. A very curious man, yes. And Ben, like he, um, he's one of those people who can kind of hide how smart he is. So smart. Yep. Sevens are. They're they're mind triad people. Well, it's the curiosity. Yep. You know. So, for the best boating experience, get yep. on the. Brazos River with a Waco Paddle Company. Woohoo! And we're back. We're back. Well, thanks for a word from our sponsor, Taylor. It was, um, it is the season of Easter. It is. That's where we're. It's we are. Um, spring flowers and resurrection all around us. All around. And as such, we wanted to have a little, uh, little religious discussion today. We did. <laughs> we we did want to that. talk about the um, importance of the historicity of the bodily resurrection. Yeah. So uh, let me unpack it a little bit. Okay. The importance, meaning like critical, essential, non-negotiable, mm-hmm. of the historicity. Mm-hmm. So not just the um, the theological proclamation of, but right. the historical event that happened. Yeah. Of the bodily, so not just a spiritual. Uh huh. But in the flesh, as he first came to us as a baby. Uh-huh. Bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is our Lord. Amen. Yes. Who is our Lord? Amen. And why would I raise such things? Um, because I was on Twitter's yesterday. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I had seen a group, well, I'm going to call the Seminary Mob. Who the are Seminary a, Mob? Yeah. Oh, There's a group of Twitterers who are seminary folks. Yeah. Really good people. And um, Of course. They are vehement, or at least they were in their tweeting yesterday. Yes. Like, here's one. I'm going to paraphrase it. Just a friendly reminder that um, the resurrection does not refer to the resuscitation of the faith of disciples but that a man walked out of the tomb. Yeah. So that's the kind of what's at stake here. So we should tell, there is a um, two streams, probably more, but within Christian theologians yeah. about how to understand resurrection. The one that we are taught, I think, most widely is the literal bodily resurrection of Jesus. Sure. But the liberal, sort of Marcus Borg slash John Dominic Crossan, 
slash those people understanding. Yeah. Well, that, and I also think like I I would bet a lot of mainline Protestants sort of align with this yeah. secondary. Yep. Uh, the thought is that um, who knows who can say about the body of Jesus. Mm-hmm. We have an empty tomb tradition. And we have the arrival and arising of faith in the disciples after Jesus' death. Yeah. That changes the world, and that is the resurrection. Yes. So, what say you, Taylor? What say I? Yeah. How honest are you going to be? How honest am I going to be? Yeah. I think I'm generally pretty honest. I do too. And, you know, this is one of those things that I think um, day to day... I sort of vacillate on. Do you know what I mean? There are like some days where I'm like, no, mostly um, I guess how I feel is that for me to believe in the work of Christ and the presence of God in the world and for me to believe in the importance of scripture, I do not find it necessary to believe that Jesus was bodily resurrected. You do not find it necessary. I don't find it necessary. Which doesn't mean that some days, like, so, like, I do, I think I still believe that that could have happened. And some days it is a very important and precious truth to me. And some days, um, well, mostly I think it just doesn't, to me, to hold my faith, it doesn't really matter that much whether or not it happens. So I want to press you on that. Okay. Um, and I, I hope you can hear my curious voice and not my judgmental one. Okay. Uh, so what then is your eschatological hope for yourself? And I mean that very literally. Are you hoping for a disembodied soul to be held in heaven? Are you hoping for the general resurrection of your own body? Or are you agnostic on the whole thing? I am not hoping for my soul to be held in heaven. Um... I do think for me, the bigger and greater hope is, yeah, a final uh, unification of all things with the presence of God. So a bodily resurrection? Yeah, maybe, probably. Most days, I think. <laughs> okay. So if that, that alone, though, will be some kind of miracle, your own bodily resurrection. Yeah. Oh, of course, for sure. So why not then? Would you, for me, if you're like willing to really put your hope in that miracle, why wouldn't you assume the Abali resurrection 2,000 years ago? I I didn't say I didn't. I said it doesn't, but it is not for me. Do you think, though, the Bible claims that Jesus bodily rose? (laughs) This is more like an interview than I was expecting. Um, Well, and I'm wondering about the logic of the whole thing, and I'm not trying to pin you down. I just... Do I think the Bible claims Jesus bodily rose? Yeah, I think so. So does it not make you nervous, though, that you would negotiate that claim, but then hold out hope for your own resurrection? Like, why would the one be true if the other wasn't actually true? Well, uh, this is so hard. I feel like this is, like, used to when, like, um, this is how I feel about this. Used to when my uh, in having conversations about like uh, theology around LGBTQ um, Christians uh-huh. and whether or not they should be married or if the Bible called you know sort of gayness and acting on gayness is sin. I what I would generally feel people don't love this. My theology professors did not love this. Um, 
I didn't have a hermeneutic. I think we've talked some about this. Mm-hmm. So I kind of felt like, yeah, I do think the Bible is calling those things a sin. And also, um, but also there are larger themes in the Bible about loving our neighbor. Mm-hmm. And that is an interesting counterpoint. And like, and so I don't. So maybe so, the exegetical data would work against you, but the hermeneutical option for you is there. Yeah. Right. Okay. Exactly. So it's like, um, so it's like, yeah, I do think the Bible says those things that you're saying. And also it does not matter to me, (laughs) which is not to say that there are parts of scripture that don't matter to me, but just that like the way we read the Bible is, um, like we, you know, we're always picking and choosing a hermeneutical lens. And so, um, for me, uh, I do think the Bible is, I do think the Bible is claiming that Jesus bodily rose. And also like, if that is not what happened, I don't feel, my faith does not feel, um, any less. Like I don't feel threatened. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and so... And so, like I said, I think there are days in which I'm like, yeah, I do think that's what this is describing. And I think this is an important thing to hold. And some days I'm like, you know what? I think we have this whole story and this whole narrative about, um, you know, Jesus, who is the Christ and what happened to the people who loved him and followed him. And, um, I think that story holds a lot of importance and even if it was just sort of a refreshing of their faith and a, a sort of resurrection of what, you know, of like the church and the world or sort of a, not a resurrection, but like the beginning of that, like, I don't feel threatened by that, Does okay. it, you know? Yeah. What about you? What's the question? <laughs> uh, what was the first question you asked me? Do you believe in a bodily historical resurrection? Yeah. What about that? I do. Okay. Um, and I think one thing... So here's my... My approach to this is... Wait a minute. If a guy rose from the grave, <laughs> I don't care if they didn't have video cameras or YouTube. Like, this would have been on the headlines of the papers of the empire. Uh-huh. Right? Like, word would have spread. And, like, you read Tacitus. You read Suetonius. Yeah. You read other first century historians, you read Josephus, and the kind of brushing over this Christos figure from Jerusalem around this time is merely that he was this kind of historical figure who was responsible for uprising or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, So that makes me suspicious that the version of Jesus that came back out of the grave was something that... Um, we would empirically verify through like cells and blood. And um, that's not to say I don't think those things are real. But what I would say is this. I read N.T. Wright's 800-page tome on called the, Bali Re- or the Resurrection of the Son of God. And mm-hmm. he, first 200 pages, just researches history and talks about post-mortem existence for different things and really comes up with a robust view. His kind of tagline in that book is, the resurrected body of Jesus has something in continuity and discontinuity with our present ones. Mm. And I think that that has to make sense of the fact that when you go look at things like what was sown perishable will be raised imperishable. What was sown mortal will be raised immortal. Uh Like whatever is coming out of the thing, 
is categorically different than what went in. Uh-huh. Um, and this is why we can make sense of the road to Emmaus this way, where they can't understand or see who Jesus was until after the fact. Yeah. This is why Jesus can appear to the disciples mm-hmm. in the upper room in John 20, or is it 21? I can't ever remember. Mm-hmm. So like um, the, the, the constituency of Jesus's very body is somehow different. Yeah. The other big thing that slowed me down was when I was still in my roll my eyes phase at Cross and John Dominic Cross, a New Testament scholar mentioned. Mm-hmm. One of the things that really grabbed me though was Paul, like in his road to Damascus experience where he's confronted by Jesus, yeah, refers to that appearing of Jesus mm-hmm. as the same kind of appearing that the disciples had in the post-resurrection accounts. Mm-hmm. Which, if I'm honest, I always thought of the post-resurrection accounts as like, Jesus came up out of the grave. See my scars. See my, like, here's just Jesus kind of remade. Yeah. Um, whereas I thought of the appearance to Paul as like, okay, he's already ascended into heaven. Right. right? Now here's a an apparition of him uh-huh. appearing to Paul. Okay. Like a cat, but like, Crossan points out, no, that's the same language. He's making the same claim. And categorically, Paul treats himself as having seen Jesus uh, resurrected just as the disciples did. Yeah. That was kind of a big shift for me. To say, now, that wait those a weren't different things. Right. Yeah. So um, that's where I say, I say, yes, there was a bodily historical resurrection, mm-hmm. but it was in a form that our five senses in space time maybe can't fully comprehend in a way that we perceive everything else. Sure. Like how mermaids definitely exist, but maybe they don't look like what we Like thought. mermaids definitely exist. <laughs> <laughs> was that too much? No. What do you mean? No, that's really interesting, I think. Because here's my one thing. I, I was just scanning First Corinthians 15 as uh-huh. you were talking. Uh-huh. And here's another verse that always trips me up. Uh-huh. And I'll say why afterwards. This is Paul in First Corinthians 15, 12. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So there could be that he's taking on the general teaching about resurrection at this point. But it seems to me he's also, um, well, and this is the next verse, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Um, what I like about that verse from a modernist perspective uh. is Paul very clearly is entertaining the consequences of this historical claim. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, it's not an abstract thing. Like, he's, so I, I'm always, that one gives me pause, too. Yeah. I think Paul... Um... You know, I think that in a lot of ways, I'm a, I'm a pretty intense person. And I think one of the thing, and, and it's not always good for the record. And I think one of the ways in which I am sort of a, I have sort of opened my worldview and my sense of self is my faith. Like very little, I feel very, very little about anything sort of like threatens my sense of like, belief or like being a Christian or um and I think Paul (laughs) in general feels way more intense to me like all not all but a lot of Paul's writing writings I'm like this was an intense dude probably way more intense than I am when it comes to like how I hold my faith which is to say that for me it has become imperative to hold it um to hold it loosely, like to find the things that like 
I hold tightly and hold tightly to those, but like for everything else to kind of hold it loosely and trust, I mean, essentially and trust in God that like I will understand things as I am meant to understand them and know them. And so um, I do think this is a, this conversation, I'm very um, interested. I think it's a good reflection of like us that like, um, we, like we are different in the way that we approach things Mm -hmm. and you are like so interested in and so like it's like the all of the theological understandings are so important to you and I mean they're also important to me but it's like for me there's there is I think a like a I sort of take a what am I trying to say like a big image thing whereas like you want to be down there in the nitty-gritty like figuring it all out yeah i'm i'm wondering if this is offensive i don't intend it to be but um and so shoot back if it is i I will don't worry um you know roar talks about there's the tricycle so Mm -hmm. wesley had the quadrilateral of scripture reason tradition and then experience yeah and of course scripture gets said above the rest right I can't remember which one. Roar collapses tradition and reason into one, I think. Yeah. But then he has experience in the scripture, and he says it's a tricycle with those three, and that yeah. experience is the front wheel. Um, and I wonder if maybe you allow yourself to get to experience in the conversation with three than I do. Sorry, say that again? If you allow yourself to get to experience quicker than I do. In these sorts of things. Yes. Why would that be offensive? I'm not offended by that. Well, because this is why I was thinking. Like, the trope is that women are emotional and women get excited. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I'm and like, men are reasonable and they're, you know. Right. I have never found a man reasonable in my life, so um, I'm not offended. <laughs> uh, but, I yeah, I think that's true. I think um, I saw a tweet this week that I thought about sending to you. It's a Bonhoeffer quote, and it says, if... If you if the if someone allows their love for oh man I'm gonna look it up because it's really it's a really great Bonhoeffer quote but it's essentially talking about how like um uh which is we we talked about this in a lot when we've talked about cancel culture which is to say that like you have this sort of um dream of like what the beloved community looks like do you know what i mean mm-hmm. and you're like very tied to that dream whereas like i am very tied to like the reality of what is happening do you know what i'm saying yeah um and so yeah i do think to me i think that's probably a good description as far as the roar you know sort of understanding goes nothing is happening well, and I think the interesting thing that Roar might add is, you know, Roar says um, everybody has experiences the front wheel, uh-huh. and that's like pretty offensive to a lot of Protestants, but it's actually true. Uh-huh. Um, is that for some reason in my experience, I go to the tradition so intently. You know what I mean? Yeah. So my experience is still prior. It just drives me to the tradition in, in a way that I probably feel safe there or something. Yeah. Um. Oh man, I'm struggling trying to find this quote. It it drives you to the tradition. Yeah. Um well, yeah. 
But my point is, even experience drives me to the tradition. So experience is still always first. Yeah. That's so interesting. Because I also think of myself as driven to the tradition, but I do think what I'm thinking of as tradition is maybe like, is maybe experience. Does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? I'm thinking of like the way people have held faith in my life, like the way I have seen people hold faith as opposed to like sort of capital T tradition in like the larger capital C church, like, um, uh, environment. Um, here's a different question for you. Okay. So there's these odd images throughout scriptures. One would be Abraham's bosom. One is the abode of the dead. There's Gehenna, Sheol, whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, some of these are neutral. Some of them intend to be scary more when we get to the New Testament, especially in Matthew. Yeah. But, um, how do you conceive of the postmortem self before the resurrection? Cause you said you lean more into the resurrection image than you do of the, your souls with Jesus thing. Yeah. So do you not believe your soul goes to heaven with Jesus when you die? No. Do you think there is a soul? sometimes what constitutes you then is your personality like the arrangement of your cells and your body and all those things so when those go your personality ceases to exist i do think this this is also very interesting i have spent a lot of time recently thinking about embodiment Uh and um oh i can't think of the word what is the thing in one of the councils that they decided was bad and it's like the separation of your body and your soul. Uh, what's the heresy? Yeah. Oh, I mean, there's a few of them. Docetism? Uh, I think it's, yeah, I think or, docetism um, is what I'm thinking about. Or there's the Gnosticism. Gnosticism. Oh, thank you. Wow, I need to go back and look up those heresies. Um, I haven't thought about them in a while. Um, but, you know, ultimately, like, so the councils declared that, like, we are combined. That, you know, these things are together in our bodies. And I do think I cling pretty strongly to that. And I think Gnosticism is, um, I mean, I think essentially, though, that like uh, particularly evangelicals in America are essentially Gnostics. Um, yeah, I and, get that. Yeah. And I think that. Yeah, yeah. And I think that 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 particular heresy has caused a lot of damage as far as like the way we think about just all of creation and also about ourselves and particularly women and the emphasis that like women have lived through in this world, the emphasis on, um, on their bodies and like the way that they have to shield their bodies or, um, be careful with their bodies or the way that maybe the men around us tell us we need to be taking care of our bodies. And so, um, I was just, uh, I don't, I don't, have we talked at all on the podcast about, um, Sedona Prince? No. She's like the women's basketball player from Oregon. Oh yeah. You yeah. mentioned her last week. Did I? Um, unsurprising. I'm a little obsessed with her right now. And some of that is because she is 20 and, oh yeah, I did tell a story about her last week. Um, I think it was the one about when. I the, think you told it to me down on the podcast. Oh, okay. Where you showed me the TikTok of the the, girls. the locker or yeah. the um, weight rooms and yeah. stuff like that. Um, 
which also brought up another thing I had wanted to talk to you about. But, um, uh, so, oh, well, one funny thing is in an interview recently, they were like, what male players do you get? Did I tell you this? No. What male players do you get like compared to? And she's like very pro women's basketball. And so she was like, um, I don't really watch men's basketball, so I don't really know. And then she just went on to talk a lot about women's basketball, which I think is the funniest answer in the whole world. Because it's like, she just definitely knows who people are comparing her to. Do you yeah. know what I mean? But she just full on is like not willing to like... It's a way to give an answer without an answer. Yeah, exactly. To be like, no, I don't care about that. I care about this other thing. And um, she... Me and Kathleen have talked some about her because... Uh, Something about the way she moves through the world is like much more embodied than I was at 20 years old or than like my friends at Washita were at 20 years old. Like she seems to have a sense of like what her body is capable of, what her body wants, what her body like, um, you know, and some of that is she got really injured. She broke her tibia amphibia on national television. Mm. And um, I think you do get to know your body in a way. Um, some of that I think also is that she is, um, she is a lesbian. And so she's had to like make, you know, sort of process through layers of oppression and figure out like, um, what she wants. Um, but I also think some of it is that she is not brought down by some of the evangelical culture that women face. Um, which is, I guess I, I don't really know if she goes to church or where she goes to church, but, um, she doesn't seem to carry that in the same way that I did as a 20 year old woman, which was to say that I was very disembodied, um, because the only important thing about me was my soul and where it was going after I died. And then also if there was anything to know about my body, it was that it should, um, not tempt men. It should not take up space. It should not be important at all. And so it's hard not to, it's hard to get to know yourself um, and learn how to sort of be embodied and also like even your, I think it dis, it disconnects you from your emotions and your thoughts um, in a way that I think is really dangerous and has played out as a very dangerous thing in the world and particularly in evangelical Christianity. Uh, I don't, I can't speak to whether or not I think men have the exact same experience, but I do think it has injured men as well. So, um, so all of that to say, uh, that, yeah, I think that we are a disembodied people and I don't remember the original question. Well, I'd ask about the difference between your soul being saved and your Bible resurrection and what constitutes you now. And if you have a soul and are you held in Christ? Yes. Okay. So I'm, I'm gleaning from your answer, you would maybe say no, that you are bodied, and that's important, and that means you don't have a soul? No. Well, I think I have a soul, but I think it is tied to my body. Okay. So does your soul cease to exist when you die? No. So your soul is held and is with Jesus? Maybe. These are all the conversations that I'm like, I don't, who could know? Yeah. Well, I, right, one of the verses that he really made me think about was in Philippians 1 where Paul says, I don't know if it's better to be with you or to basically be with Jesus. Uh-huh. And he takes that to mean this is Paul's clear understanding that we are held in Christ until the resurrection of the dead in some kind of conscious, cared for way. 
so do you think what does that mean to you i mean so i i gather that you would say that that is the case i don't know this is so funny i've tried to interview an anesthesiologist on my other podcast because when i was when in surgery for my appendectomy Uh i remember um i remember being conscious of when i was getting the medicine because i'm like oh this is my chance i'm gonna beat this not like i'm really gonna beat it but i'm like this is like i i love the idea that my brain can be manipulated to have an experience right yeah um so, and then I remember ripping the thing off my face after the surgery because I felt like it was suffocating, but I don't remember anything in between. Oh, okay. Well, then I talked to a guy. You, so you didn't beat it? No. Okay. Then I talked to a guy who works in, is an ER nurse, and he said, oh yeah, you probably get, voluntarily got up off your cart and onto the surgery bed and all this stuff, and you, the chemical I put in you just keeps you from remembering that. Wow. Which, at first, this is what happened. I'm like, that's it. That's the final straw. We are nothing. Like we are. I'm an atheist. Like we, if yeah. we can control my brain experience that easily. Mm. But then I had a counter thought, which is, but wait a minute, I was alive that whole time, and my brain was functioning. And then I just thought about every night I go to bed. There are large time slots that I. There's no way I could recover what I was thinking that my brain was functioning. Yeah. So then I'm like. All of this. Well, and also, like some people sleepwalk, so they don't. Their body is doing things, and they are unconscious of that. So, well, that's maybe the most helpful thing. All this to say that um, there does seem to be a a layer of us that a feels otherworldly, and it's Mm -hmm. the part of me that yearns for resurrection and the eternal. Yeah. And yet, that I struggle to really meaningfully access and make sense of in my um, day to day. Well, and in my cognitive faculties. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I find that thought both almost devastating and hopeful. That there's something other about me that I do think longs for the eternal and I think perhaps is held by Christ. I was talking to Risa about this yesterday. We had a very Easter kind of conversation Mm -hmm. while we were cleaning the parking lot. And I said, the one kind of piece of evangelical apologetics that has stuck with me was, I think it's the anthropological. There's the anthropic argument for the existence of God and anthropological. But the anthropological is very simple. It's that the, the effect has never been greater than the cause, right? And that's like a simple Newtonian principle, but also in evolutionary biology, like you don't, you don't have, you have fish because you have water prior to that, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the thing didn't evolve beyond what it came from. Uh-huh. And so it's like, if there is no God and we don't have these souls, it is just absurd yeah. That we long for things like eternity yeah. or the transcendent or even the category of beauty in general. Like, what the hell is that? Right. Um, which is what I said to Holly Laurent in that interview is I said, you know, I think that it's easy to pick on the theist because the problem of evil, it does seem insurmountable. But I think yeah. if you trade that for atheism, you just have a new set of problems that are just as hard to make sense of. Right. Which is why is there good? Why is there beauty? Yeah. Why do we generally have a sense of moral development in the world that seems congruent? Yes. So that was a long answer to the question. Well, I, I gave a very long one, too. Yeah. We're really out here sharing the things we think with people today. Yeah. I do also think, though, that um, resurrection imposes on us a very interesting question about our ethics in the present. Mm-hmm. Because if our body does have something in continuity with the future one, then if we can't behave properly in the here and now, what makes us think we're going to be inclined to do so when we are given the um, kind of free reign of eternity, you know? So it's like, let's say the rules of the new world are such that they're similar. If part of becoming sanctified means I learn how to use the world sustainably, 
then that would make sense that that's an eternal behavior. Uh-huh. Because if I'm going to be in this medium forever, I better have figured that out. Yeah. Same thing with love and people and all these other things. Yeah. Here's another question, though. Okay, well, wait, I, well I have a question first. Okay. Well, I have a follow-up on that first. Okay. Which is to say that, so, but I, I think what I'm interested in is, like, what what do you think it looks like? So you believe that like our souls are held, right? But what yeah. do you think? Does that look like anything or? You know, so here, this is really out in the woods. Okay. What I honestly think, yeah. or what makes the most sense to me, I should say, uh-huh. given what we now know about kind of Einsteinian physics and time. Uh-huh. Um, I used to be an open theist. I'm not anymore because I don't think, like, I don't, like, you, you can't conceive of physics if God's not outside of that. Uh-huh. And so, like, some people say, like, God would choose not to know the future, which to me is just absurd. How do you push out a thought? <laughs> sure. So now the thing that makes more sense to me is God is eternally present in all moments simultaneously. Yeah. So, too, I think... Like since, the aliens from that Amy Adams movie? Yeah, there you go. I mean, well... Sure. We still conceive of them in time, but yeah, I, yeah. in terms of that. Yeah. So what I think is, if that's true... God's existence is more ontologically true than mine. Mm. And so it could be that I both am a thought in the mind of God in the time of Moses, that I am a zygote in my mother's womb, that I am me now, and that I am my resurrected self all simultaneously now mm. in the life of God. Yeah. And so it could be that we all just die and then wake up in the resurrection, I think. Because it's, it's all happening. Because once we... Move like so. When I do funerals, I use that phrase, and I said it yesterday. Alicia has passed out of time and into eternity. Yeah, I like that. I think that's an immediate sense of cognitive. Now, that makes a lot of sense. I think. Now, if you know, like, is my bones turning to dust in a grave over thousands of years? Yes, but that's a fixed perspective. Right. Right. Um. So even if I'm not right about my metaphysical speculation. We know enough about science to know that time is a relative experience. Yeah. And so in some sense, that is already true. I really like that. I really like that. And I also think it's like, I don't care about my bones and what's <laughs> happening to them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I yeah. just don't see that as like, and I think that it's probably strange, as I kind of said, that it's like I think of an embodied sort of resurrection as an important situation. But it's like, I just don't, it doesn't interest me how, you know, mm-hmm. and like the science of it all. Nothing about science has ever interested me. Really? Oh, that's probably too large of a phrase. But like, yeah, I don't. I, don't. I think that physics has saved my faith often. Yeah. My brain has like math and science is, has never been the thing. Oh, that, I don't like math at all. Has never been the thing that's that I sort of me. cared about. So. Um, yeah, but I, yes, but I find it very interesting and very beautiful the way that you talked about it, even though I would never think about the physics of it just like on my own. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We had to write a paper in Bender's class about science one time and science and faith. And I just was like, I literally couldn't, I think it's the worst grade I ever got on a paper. I got like an 83 or something. Hmm. And it was just like, I'm not interested. Yeah. It does not matter to me. But I love when it matters to other people. And they can I talk think about that it well. would be a hard paper to write. Oh, man. 
Because I don't have a good theory about the relationship between faith and science. No, it was not that vague. It it was a good prompt. He's a good professor. Okay. You know, like the prompt was good. It's just as like, I think shoot. people who cared about it, like you probably would have liked writing the paper. Yeah. But to me, it just is like, like I said earlier, it's like, not, like even when I was little, like none of the sort of like creationism and like, uh, well, did the... You know, like, well, if if we say the Big Bang is true, then like that means all of our Christianity mm. is we have to throw it out the door. And I was like, I don't that doesn't seem reasonable to me. See, I loved all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. So it's just like a difference of experiencing the world, you know? Yeah. Well, there you have it. There you have it. What was your other question? Well, here's the other thing that's fascinating to me. Okay. So if it, pertinent since we're a day after Easter. Yeah. Um, if you hung around all the liturgies that existed on the Easter weekend, you'd, you'd get to um, some of the stuff at the end of Revelation, which is just breathtaking. Yeah. 21 and 22. And, um, you know, there's talk about new heaven and earth. And I think somewhere in the Bible, that's embarrassing, I don't know, it like gives measurements of cubits and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so there's a guy named Hugh Ross who wrote a book about science and faith years and years ago. I read like early, it's like early deconstruction, sophomore year of college. Yeah. But he does this thing in the end about like the physical space of the new heaven and the new earth will need. Okay. Because um, you have 107 billion people who have uh-huh. ever lived. And that's even a dicey question because it's like, at what point do you call humans humans with homo sapiens and Neanderthal, whatever. 107 sure. billion. Okay. Well, um, let's just say that it's um, a liberal estimation of all this, that the narrow road merely means that just over half the people get in. Okay. You're looking at 55 billion people. Sure. Well, where are you going to put all those people? Those yeah. embodied rebodied persons on the new earth like does the earth going to be the same expand if it expands it has different gravitational forces all of a sudden <laughs> and how are these bodies going to handle that you know, like this is like exactly the type of thing that i'm like i don't this is not i have no like i don't think that i don't care <laughs> like it doesn't i don't know i you know what i trust god's gonna figure that out <laughs> Is that like lazy? Maybe. No, I don't think it's lazy. I think we have different aptitudes and there are things I just absolutely could not give to about that you are very crafted at caring for. Well, yeah, yeah. We have different, yeah. And I think we're concerned about different things and different curiosities about different things for sure. Yeah. But someone wrote a book and they did all that math? I mean, just a section at the end. He didn't do the thing about bodies and space. He just talked about the size of the new earth because yeah. he was a physicist. And I'm like, wait a minute. I also, I think, sometimes I think all of this is like fake. What is? All of it. Science? No. Faith? Space. Oh, well, there's some interesting stuff there too. Yeah. Antimatter and stuff. But, um, you know, good. We are reading a book in book club right now called Braiding Sweetgrass. Yeah. Um, it's about Native American wisdom. Uh-huh. And how it works together, science, and how it doesn't sometimes. And uh, it is very interesting to read the creation myths that she talks about, hmm. um, or that she sort of believes in, or has knowledge of, or you know, because a lot of the obviously different Native American tribes have different creation myths, and I mean, you know, it's like all around the world, there's different creation myths, and. She talks a lot about sort of, there was a very beautiful chapter called, I can't think of it, um, 
the nature of animacy. Okay. And sort of like the understanding, the Native American understanding that all things are animated. Mm. Um, uh, and all of... Is braiding sweetgrass a Christian or are they a pagan? Uh, I think they, I think she would say she believes in, um, sort of this like Native American understanding of the world. So I don't, I don't a, think she has any Christian background. Okay. No. Yeah. Um, and she talks a lot about being grateful and how that is really a part of the Native uh, American worldview in many and most, um, sort of understandings, uh, and it is very interesting to me because I think that, although obviously that's not my understanding in any like that I grew up Christian, I didn't I didn't grow up knowing any of these things, um, but it is like I do think that like my larger and maybe like poetic hermeneutic is like I care more about those things than I care about like. Like, what are we being told to do? How are we being told to act? How are we being told to behave? How am I called to live my life in relationship with the creator, you know, with God, who is the creator of all things, um, including, you know, I'm particularly interested in all people. And it's like, I feel more compelled by those lessons and those things than like the sort of ins and outs of, um, uh, theological understanding, which is to say, I think I would say that orthopraxy to me has always been more important than orthodoxy. And there are some people who would say you can't have orthopraxy without orthodoxy. And I would say those people are crazy, not crazy, but we're just concerned with different things. I think they do seem mutually interdependent for a healthy worldview. I think you do have to have, I think you have to be trying your best at both. Um, yeah. Cause I'm just like, to, to ask the question acutely, would you live your life any different from how it is right now if you were an atheist? Yeah. Yeah, so I think your belief does matter then. Yeah, I think both are important. Yeah. But I think that like a lot of people are more concerned with orthodoxy than orthopraxy. Like, I don't think it's like they're like, yeah, both are important. They're like, it's more important that I understand why I believe this than, well, I guess this is what it reminds me of. Um, I saw a tweet this week that said that if you use the pronouns that a transgender teen asks you to use, there is, they just recently did a study that says they are 56% less likely to commit suicide. Mm -hmm. And 26% less likely to even have suicidal ideation. Or maybe it's backwards, those sure. two. I can't remember. And so to me, I can think of another a number of people who would say, like, orthodoxy is more important than orthopraxy. And so because of that, they would be like, I don't, uh, they would say, like, uh, I think the Bible is clear on being a transgender person. And so I, I can't use the correct, the pronouns someone told me. I have to use their correct, like, um, you know, what the doctor but said when they were born pronouns. I'm just going to say in responses, that's just bad orthodoxy. <laughs> that's bad orthodoxy? Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. I, your point, I understand your point, though. Yes, which is to say that, like, but even if you, 
Even if that's your belief. Well, and a really salient example, have you seen the TED Talk video going around of the woman who describes growing up as an evangelical, and then she describes having a gay daughter, and she says, and I chose, it's beautiful, and she, like, her voice cracks, and she says, I chose my daughter. Yeah. And, like, that's the, like, orthopraxy over orthodoxy moment. Right. Exactly. Which is, but I would, right now I would say like that that is orthodoxy. Well, and that, no, what happens I think is it necessitates that you rethink your orthodoxy. Yeah, of course. But I think you have to choose orthopraxy before you can get to rethinking your orthodoxy. Yeah, I was just trying to think if there are instances where orthodoxy changed from orthopraxy. Or if it is always the other way around. Yeah. Yeah. In my experience, which again. In my experience, it's like you just have to kind of, I think for me, uh, I growing up, I had an, uh, my mom has a cousin that died of AIDS. And so my mom was always being like, gay people are loved, gay people are, uh, you know, fully, you know, she didn't, this isn't language Marty uses, but like, you know, they are fully created in the image of God. They are full people with full lives. And we, you know, we have to treat them yeah. the way we treat everyone else. Whatever we believe, we have to figure this out. Yeah. And Marty doesn't have, I don't, I don't know that at the time she had an orthodoxy for that. Right. Or an understanding of why she believed that way. Pascal said the heart has reason that reason knows not of. Exactly. And that's, I think to me, it's like, that's the truth. Like, that's the real thing. We're all just out here doing our best. And mm-hmm. it's important to be thoughtful and know why. But sometimes... We get there in action first. And if, listener, if this feels like we're in the weeds, um, I would <laughs> remind you that orthopraxy, orthodoxy, very much has to do with soul and body. Yeah. I think that uh, evangelicalism has allowed us to just believe there are souls being saved, which is why they think they have robust orthodoxy and little care often for orthopraxy. Yeah. That's the, the th- thread there. Well, Taylor, we're an hour and a half in. That was fun. That was really fun. I, uh, we don't usually kind of make this so theological, but I thought it was a lot of fun. I know. I wonder what people will think. Yeah, well, probably the ones that like it will like it, and the ones that don't, don't. <laughs> Let us know. <laughs> probably some people will turn it off when I start speaking. Uh, I don't think so. so. Certainly not. Um, yeah, let us know if this was interesting. Also, I think it's. I just think it's interesting that we're so different. Yeah. Okay. Bye. Mm-hmm.